0: Uh, you nearly didn't get a sermon this morning, um, thanks to superglue. Um, Liz said the cake knife has broken, and I thought our oh, superglue will stick it back together. So I put superglue on and held it in place and got a little bit on my finger. And I thought, you've got to get rid of it quick. So bit it off. <laughs> and suddenly felt my lips sticking together. This sermon is brought to you courtesy of soap and water. (laughs) How many of you like reading novels? Yeah, of any kind. I mean, all different. I love it. I really enjoy it when I go on holiday in particular. Um, Adventure novels, spy novels, detective novels, and historical novels. I just love novels. But you know, when we are reading novels, none of us would dream of opening the novel halfway through and starting to read it. Because if we did, we'd think, what on earth is this about? You know, if you want to understand the novel, you've got to start at the beginning, work your way through, and then everything makes sense. And that's why you as a church have been doing the series that you have been doing over these last few weeks of trying to look at God's big story that comes in this book. In fact, this book that contains 66 books that aren't done in a historical uh, collection, but rather by type and category of literature, which makes it a little bit harder at first to understand where that story goes. But you've been trying to unpack that and look at, yeah, God's big picture. I have unashamedly stolen the PowerPoint background there from last week's because it was so good. Um, God's big picture is what we've been looking at. Now, I don't know how much detail you've done it in, if you've been following uh, Vaughan Roberts' book, probably in not a great deal of detail. But I'm going to bring you up to date with what we are looking at in hopefully about three minutes flat, maybe less. So the story you know starts with God's beautiful creation that men and women spoil through their sin. But God has a plan to correct that. And when he starts that plan, he begins by calling one man with his wife, who can't have kids, and says to them, I am going to make from you a family that will one day fill the whole earth as I planned at the beginning. And that man was called? Abraham. Audience participation time. And Abraham has a son called Isaac, who has a son called Jacob, who has 12 sons that become the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those sons is Joseph, who has a special gift, a gift of? dreams and being able to interpret them and he's a pain in the butt so his brothers decide to get rid of him and he ends up being taken down to egypt ends up there as a slave but how many of us know god turns things round, and he turns around that slavery so the people of israel are able to go down to egypt and avoid the famine that's in the promised land so now the family grows while they're in egypt but they're in the wrong place they need to be back in the promised land that god spoke about So God raises up a man to lead them into the next stage. Long gap, by the way. The time that they're in Egypt, the Bible tells us, is 480 years. How many of us know God doesn't have a watch? Actually, God doesn't have a calendar, I think, sometimes. God takes his time with things. He's in no rush. But he's always working things out. So God raises up a man called Moses, who, as you've seen, leads people the God's people out from Egypt into the wilderness at Sinai. They get the law. They make their way to the promised land. People grumble. And so those over 20 there, they die in the desert. And it's 40 years there in the desert before they can enter the promised land. They eventually cross into the promised land. They cross the River Jordan. Who's the leader now? Joshua. Joshua takes the promised land. Followed by the period of judges, which is a real mixed bunch. Because it's a time of declining spirituality and people say they love God but want to worship other gods and do their own things. And so for about 300, 350 years, where's that watch again? The period of the judges, the life of God's people goes down and down and down and down until eventually the people say, what we need to fix this is a king. And God says, okay, you can have a king. So God gives them their first king called Saul. Good king or bad king? Mm-hmm. Starts out mm, but ends up mmm why because he wants to be king over God the king Uh, and he wants to decide what happens not God so God eventually replaces him with David best king that Israel ever has and David has a son called Solomon who follows him and Israel becomes the greatest it's ever been in terms of territory and power and wealth but sadly Solomon doesn't really follow God in his heart. He ends up marrying many foreign women to build alliances with other nations. And these foreign women bring their foreign gods and they steal his heart. And he starts to turn from God. Puts a lot of burdens on the people to build his palace and his temple. So after his death, the 10 northern tribes come to his son, Rehoboam, and say, you know, your dad made life really hard for us. He put taxes on us. He invented taxes, by the way, we think. Why? Don't you make things a little easier and we'll serve you forever. But Rehoboam, stupid, takes the advice of the young bucks he's grown up with rather than his elders. And the ten northern tribes say, right, that's it, finished. They break away and make a separate nation that henceforth is called Israel, leaving only Judah and Simeon in the south to be a separate nation known as Judah. The story of the north is disastrous following other gods, Baal in particular, the highly sexualized fertility religion, not listening to the prophets. So in 721 BC, they're conquered by Assyria and exiled throughout its empire, gone, never, ever, ever to come back again. Meanwhile, in the south, in Judah, that nation carries on and the prophets say, you know, the same will happen to us if we don't change and follow God. And they say, no, we've got the temple, we'll be all right. God's holy temple is He'd Never do anything against Jerusalem. And the prophets say he will. And they say he won't. But he did. 586 BC Babylon attacks. Destroys Jerusalem. Destroys the temple. Exiles all the people of God. And takes them into exile. But this time leaves them as a community. Where they can seek God and find out what went wrong. 539 Babylon gets conquered by Persia. And the Persian ruler, Cyrus, has a, a different philosophy. He, he believes in sending people back to their homelands because they'll be more content and therefore less trouble. So 538, they go back to the promised land. They rebuild the temple. and Ezra and Nehemiah come into the story there and help God's people to rebuild again. Back in Persia, people like Daniel and Esther are serving God in a foreign land. While years pass by, Until eventually, another power arises, this time in the West, Greece. And in 334 BC, Alexander the Great starts to cross over into Asia Minor. And before you know it, he's taken Syria and, and Mesopotamia and Egypt. And he's got right into India. One of the greatest empires the world had ever known. And with it, he brings the start of what's called Hellenization, Greekifying ways of life. And culture. It wasn't too bad under him until after his death, his empire split. And Israel started being passed between pillar and post, between Ptolemaic followers in Egypt and Seleucid followers. Don't worry about the names, but different parties, different factions. Eventually, they come under the Seleucids who say, you lot are going to start living like Greeks rather than Jews. And you're going to stop all this circumcision, Lark. And, uh, you know, all this temple of yours is not very good. And they sacrifice a pig in the temple. Which didn't go down very well. So there's a Maccabean revolt, 168 BC. And for a little while, Israel eventually becomes an independent state. Till another power arises in the West. Called Rome. that in 63 BC, conquers Judah. And at this point. The Bible says that when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, born under the law, that he might redeem those under the law. God does have a calendar after all. It's just different to ours. And last week, you saw how Jesus Messiah came to fulfill this long, 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 long story that went way back to Abraham of God determining to have a people for himself. By the way, if you want a rather longer and pretty picture illustrated version of what I just did, here it is. a great little book called The One Stop Bible Guide. It is available on Amazon uh, for $9.99, but if enough of you want it and sign up at the desk. I'll put them at the desk so you can take a look. Uh, I'm sure I can do them for about £7.50. There you go. Advert over. So, last week, you were looking at Jesus. I can't remember what I put next. Oh, that was it. (laughs) Last week, you were looking at Jesus and the kingdom. How he was the fulfillment of that expected kingdom that had been prophesied all through this long story that I've just summarized for you. How that kingdom was explained through his parables and his teaching. How it was here yet, not fully here yet. How that kingdom was expressed. Not through life, but through death on a cross. And through that death, dealing with the price of our sin that we might have relationship with God. And the kingdom of God break out and start to spread. And so that brings us, eventually, you'll be glad to hear, to what we're going to look at today, which is called in Vaughan's book, God's Kingdom Proclaimed. I want us to read Acts 1, verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he'd chosen. So when they met together, they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go up into heaven. Here is Jesus then returning to his eternal home With his father in heaven. But what he wants his disciples to know is. He is not going to abandon them. He would said to them. Recorded in John's gospel. John 14. That when I go. I won't leave you. I'll send another counsellor. The word another there means. Another one just like me. Someone who will be just like I am to you. Even though I myself won't be here anymore. Now. The disciples are clearly still thinking in old ways. Hence they're, Lord, is this it? Is this what we've been waiting for? The kingdom being restored to Israel. David's empire being built once again. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Just, it, that's nothing to do with you. But actually, here's the bit that is to do with you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here is the dynamic of God's kingdom. Always moving out, never content to stay small, never settled, always moving outwards until it fills the whole earth as he planned to do right at the beginning. And... The bit that I've got to look at this morning is the story of how that happens. Actually, I've got to cover Acts and the epistles this morning. So we'll be through by about half past three, if that's all right. Obviously, I can't look at that in detail. So what I want to do is to pick out just some key themes this morning. And what I want to begin with is as we look at this kingdom express that starts to grow out I want us to look first of all at how it started let's turn to Acts 2 now when the day of Pentecost came they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one of them heard them speaking his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked Here, aren't all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We all hear them hearing the wonders of God in our own tongues. And amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? But some made fun of them and said, yeah, they've had too much wine. So then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men aren't drunk as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, no. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he goes on to tell the story of Jesus that you looked at last week. So let's pick up from verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Then, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent. And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. All whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he warned them and pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. (coughs) And those who accepted his message were baptized. And about... 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer, and everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What turned things around? What enabled this kingdom of God that Jesus came to bring and to spread through his disciples was this experience of what he promised, called baptism in the Holy Spirit. So I just want to take a few minutes for us to stop and, and think about that first of all this morning. Just ask some questions quickly. What happened? What happened? Well, the Holy Spirit fell spontaneously and powerfully on these disciples and just filled them up and renewed them and empowered them to go out and start proclaiming this kingdom of God by their words and by their deeds. Starts with him coming, falling, and suddenly they, they break out in speaking in tongues. Speaking in other languages that they hadn't learned. By the way, every time in the book of Acts that someone's filled with the Spirit, it's mentioned that they spoke in tongues. Only two exceptions. One is It doesn't say it for Paul, but later Paul says in his letters that he, I'm glad I speak in tongues more than you all. And the other is in Samaria where it's not mentioned. But something powerful happened so that a guy who'd been a magician all his life, Simon, could look. And it says when he saw the gift of the Spirit had been given. I don't know what he saw. He could have seen them pogo hopping or anything. I think the most likely thing is that he saw them speaking in tongues. But hey let's settle for 95%. It's one of the first gifts that God gives to help us in our prayer, in our praise. It's a really precious gift. Now the thing about this coming of the Spirit is Peter is really keen that people should not think this is the start of a new story. You know, sadly, there are a lot of Christians whose view of the Bible goes like this. Uh, Once upon a time, things went wrong, so God thought he'd try and fix things by giving the law so people could obey and know him again. But that didn't work, so God thought, hmm, must have another thing. Oh, I know, I'll send Jesus, which is the New Testament, and that's how we get saved. As though it were two separate stories. Peter's really keen that people understand this is part of the same story. So what he does is he takes them back to someone in that story, Joel. And says, guys, no, no. I know this is weird. But this is exactly what the prophet Joel promised would happen one day. That God would send his Holy Spirit to change, transform, renew, and empower people to know him and serve him. This is God acting to complete the story through his Holy Spirit. Where? Well, traditionally, in the upper room, I don't think it can have been there. Um, Crowds gathered instantly. How do you get crowds gathering uh, in an upper room? 120 praying together. Do you know what? Houses weren't that big in New Testament times. There was only one place where crowds could gather, where 120 people could easily gather, and that was the courtyard of the temple. Oh, and by the way, the courtyard was surrounded with baptistry tanks. Have you ever wondered how all these people got saved in the upper room and they were suddenly baptized? Where? But if it was in the temple courtyard. Why the temple courtyard? Because it was Pentecost. And as good Jews, the disciples knew that they were under obligation to go to the temple on Pentecost, one of three great festivals they had to do that. I think they went to the temple, no doubt with their hoods up, you know, and everything else, covered up, Hiding away in a corner of this massive, massive courtyard area, when suddenly a sound came from heaven like a mighty wind. And he filled the whole house. The temple was called the house, the house. Of God. And suddenly, in the midst of all these people, probably waiting for the start of some ceremony or other on Pentecost Day, suddenly people are looking, thinking, what's going on? That wind? Where's that wind coming from? And suddenly, fire! Fire! Over in the corner. And suddenly, God has come through his spirit in the most public place. Does it matter? Yes, I think it does. Because the old view that it was in an upper room leaves the Holy Spirit safe and contained and for religious meetings. Whereas in fact, the Spirit comes in full public view because he wants his people filled and out there and impacting the world in which they live. From the very beginning, the Spirit was for out there, not just for in here. What, where, when? Pentecost. Why Pentecost? Could have been any day. Have you you noticed how God's got a thing about timing? I mean, when Jesus died on the cross and shouted, it is finished, he could have risen then. Because it was done. But God leaves him three days before he rises. Why? Because in Jewish thinking, three was a number that was associated with the might and power and activity of God. When does Jonah come out of the whale? Third day. Like us in the story. This is all about God's doing. So God has timings. And God had a timing for this. He could have given the spirit the moment after Jesus had gone back to heaven. But he waits 10 days till Pentecost. Why Pentecost? Because by New Testament times, Pentecost celebrated two things. One was one of the harvest festivals. And two... It was seen as the anniversary of the giving of law to Moses and Israel. It's almost as if God might have been saying, here's my spirit given on harvest and law day. A harvest now not of crops, but of people. Law now not on stones, but on hearts. Regenerated, renewed hearts, because that's the only way. You can know and love and serve God. Why? So they could have happy meetings. Oh no, sorry, that was the wrong way. So they could fulfill the promise that was given to Abraham. Do you remember right back at the start of this story, God's promise to Abraham? I will make your name great. And God had promised to c- bring out of Abraham a family of faith people that would not just fill Canaan one day, but fill the whole earth. Why does God give his spirit? In order that God's people, Jesus' followers, then and still today, because Peter says, this promise is for you and your children and for all those who are far off, so that includes us. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is about being so filled with God's Spirit and opening the door to the Spirit dimension that we can be empowered to continue this story that started with Abraham. To be filled with God's Spirit and to go out. And I think that's rather good. Second thing. Let's have a look now. Ahead is progressed. The story of Acts and the New Testament letters in 10 minutes. Well, what's clear as we read the rest of Acts, as we read the New Testament letters, is that these first Spirit-filled Christians made a huge impact on their world. And I've picked out four areas where they impacted life the first is there was spiritual impact as these disciples filled with the spirit now go out preaching and healing guess what people got born again people got saved, people entered the kingdom 3,000 of them on this day of Pentecost alone, I would have loved that I would still love that Within a few days, the 3,000 has grown to 5,000. And here's the amazing thing. This spiritual impact wasn't just on Jews. You might reasonably expect the Jews who've been part of this story from the beginning to respond to God's doing what he said he would do. But the spiritual impact isn't just on Jews. Though it focuses on Jews in the first few chapters of Acts. Then it becomes half-Jews, the Samaritans in chapter 8. Even more staggeringly, it then becomes Gentiles. God-fearing Gentiles like the Roman centurion Cornelius... In chapter 10. Worshippers of other gods in chapter 14. Hard-nosed ex-military jailers in chapter 16. The intellectuals of Athens in chapter 17. The hedonistic, pleasure-loving Corinthians in chapter 18. The idol worshippers of Ephesus in chapter 19. The cosmopolitan citizens of Rome in chapter 28. This gospel of the kingdom acts tells us can touch anybody... I think that's worth an amen. Amen. Oh, all right. You are still there. Okay. That's the whole message. It can touch anybody. And in Acts, we find beggars in the street being touched and the top intellectuals of Athens being challenged. Now, not all of them got saved. Of course not. But among them all, some got saved. And we need to believe that can still happen today when we are filled With God's Holy Spirit. Amen? God wants Oxford Community Church, among many others, to have a spiritual impact. And see people saved. Second, they had social impact. This gospel of the kingdom is not just about religion. It's out to transform society. As people see, do you know what? When we let God into our lives, when we start doing things God's way, when we let God rule, which is what God's kingdom means, hey, guess what? Things turn out better. So in chapter 2 of Acts, the kingdom of God breaks through human innate selfishness as people start sharing what they have with those in need. Now, we're a pretty generous church. Liz and I needed a travel court recently. You know, we got several offers. Yeah, you can borrow mine. We're pretty good at lending things to one another. This wasn't lending. This was giving. Ooh, that's a bit. (laughs) And we find as we read on, some of them had houses or fields that were like surplus to requirements. You know, you don't get many of those in Oxford, I know, at air prices. But stuff that was surplus to requirements. They said, this is crazy. What am I doing Sitting on this extra field. And so they go and sell it and they lay the money at the apostles' feet for them to use either in mission or for the care of the poor. Chapter 2, it breaks through human selfishness. Chapter 4, they start selling these houses and fields. Chapter 7, they take steps to ensure fair distribution of the food uh, among the poor among them. Chapter 11, the church at Antioch takes an offering for the relief of the poor in Jerusalem at a time of famine as we read on to the letters we find social things like slavery getting challenged and changed they couldn't change everything by the way some scholars estimate up to 85% of the population in rome and italy may have been slaves that's why the christian church couldn't suddenly say there and slavery is wrong it would just have been seen as turning uh, society upside down as rebels And they'd have been misunderstood. So they start to undermine it instead. And sure, it takes a long time. But from that point on, it's Christians who are always involved in having true social impact. In the period towards the end of the New Testament church, uh, New Testament and and into the early church, it's Christians who go out to the rubbish dumps to find the babies who've been thrown away because they are not wanted, exposed and left. And it's the Christians who go and deal with it. As you go through church history, it's the Christians who are at the forefront of education, combating slavery today. Christians who are at the forefront of of combating people trafficking. Please don't accept the lie that you Christians are always against everything. Well, we are against some things because God's against some things. But I tell you what we're for an awful lot more. They started to make huge social impact. And when we are filled with the Spirit, we will do the same third. They made huge cultural impact. Overlaps a little bit with this first one. You know, today we are constantly being told to keep religion private, aren't we? Keep religion out of the public arena. But people filled with the Holy Spirit and impassioned about the kingdom just can't do that. So in these first few chapters we find the culture of Judaism being challenged in chapters 3 and 4 as they dare to heal a man in Jesus' name in, for goodness sake of all places, the temple. They challenge the culture of individualism and possessiveness as they do this sharing that we've talked about. They challenge the culture, I like this one, of white lies in chapter 5. When Ananias and Sapphira want to appear generous but aren't telling the whole truth. They challenge the culture of separating racial groups in chapter 10 with Peter at Cornelius's house. They challenge the culture of economics is king. When Paul prays for a young slave girl who's demon possessed and he frees her. And her owners are livid because they made a really good living out of her. They used to use it for telling people's fortunes. And here is Paul now upsetting economics. God forbid that religion should have anything to say about economics. As they go through acts, they're challenging culture after culture. Then get to the New Testament letters. Wow, you'll find a whole plethora of cultural issues challenged there. Here's some just from 1 Corinthians alone. There's a challenge to the cultures of intellectualism, partisanship, lawsuits, sexual relationships, including recreational sex, same-sex relationships, and prostitution. Marriage, imposing your views on other people, particularly about whether it's okay to eat meat or not. Having idols of any kind. There's a challenge about wearing appropriate dress and having appropriate behavior. There's a challenge about caring for the poor, and that's just one letter. See, what they understood was this. That the kingdom of God is not meant to follow culture. It's meant to create culture. That's something we really need to think about in these days. When there's lots of cultural pressures to do or not do certain things. And the pressure can be on us to think, well, that must be right, mustn't it? Because everyone's going that way. So with the Gadarene pigs. But it wasn't the right way. And I want to challenge us this morning to start being people who will dare to challenge culture and base our cultural thinking scripturally, biblically on principles that God has for us brought up to today, of course, because we're living in a modern world. But not to go along with the crowd and to assume that because the crowd is going that way, This must be how God wants us to go. Because this is not what these spirit-filled men and women in the New Testament church did. Finally, it had geographical impact. What did Jesus say to them before he left them? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. For us, that will be in Oxford, in Oxfordshire, in England, in the UK, and to the ends of the earth. And in the book of Acts, Luke follows that pattern throughout. Chapters 1 to 7 are all about Jerusalem. Chapter 8 is about Judea and Samaria. Ends of the earth starts in chapter 9 when Paul gets saved and gets based in Antioch, which will become a center of mission in the remainder of the books. And when Peter goes in chapter 10 to take the gospel to the Gentile house of Cornelius. In chapter 11, when some believers go to Antioch, uh, and Antioch will become a great center of global mission from which Paul's three great missionary journeys begin. And how does Acts end? It ends with Paul under house arrest in Rome um, Sitting there welcoming people, writing his letters, welcoming all who would receive him and teaching about the kingdom of God. What an irony. There he is under house arrest and what Luke wants us to know, not even that can stop the gospel of the kingdom. This is a kingdom that is destined to geographically spread. That's why we can't stay small minded guys. That's why we've got a big building. Because we can't stay small-minded. Everything that we do needs to have mission at the heart of it. Locally, translocally, internationally. Because if it isn't, it's not the gospel of the kingdom. And it's not part of God's big story. Because God promised Abraham in this big story. From you, I'm going to build a family of faith that will fill the whole earth. And Acts and Letters is the story of how Jesus' followers began to do that when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So, where to end? I want to end with this verse. As Jesus went back up to heaven at his ascension, the disciples, somewhat understandably it seems to me, are all gawping. That's a northern word meaning looking up. Okay. And what's even more silly to me is these two angels come and say, why do you stand looking? Well, I would have thought that's flipping obvious, isn't it? (laughs) But they were after something. Why do you stand here looking? You know, there's something to be done there. There's a spirit to be received, which would happen in 10 days' time. And there's a mission to be engaged in. And there's a story to become a part of which as descendants of Abraham by faith, we can still be part of today. So what God wants to say to us this morning is, guys, why do you stand there looking? And as we close, what we're going to offer this morning is to pray for people. Now, it may be that you have never been filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you haven't, Come and let us pray for you, and Steve Jones will find some people who've got faith to do that for you this morning. It may be you have been, but you've leaked terribly recently, and you need some prayer as well. Or it may be that some of you, as we went through those four areas of impact, have realized, you know, I've really slipped badly there spiritual impact. I've I've stopped having faith that people can get born again. I've settled for being nice and Christian and influencing. Some of you might have lost the angle of social impact and getting engaged where there are needs. Some might have lost the cultural impact and just been swept along with what our culture thinks about everything now and think you can find it somewhere in the Bible. Some of you might have lost the geographical impact, that sense that we are called to engage in mission. For some of you, that's going to be long-term mission in places. For others, it might just be going on a trip for two weeks with Steve Jones somewhere. But God wants us to be big hearted people. This is the big story and you can be part of it. Exciting. Why stand there? So the band's going to come back, and as we end and we are going to end there, because we're at the end of our time oh, Steve tells me I'm all right for a few minutes. OK. So this is what we're going to do, because I feel this sort of message that we've had this morning is, is not the sort of message we can sit and think, "Hmm, yeah, that was good or not good, as the case may be." Um, so as the band plays? I'm going to invite different ones of us to respond this morning. And this is what I'd like to do. If you want to be prayed for, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, or to get free in tongues, or maybe you were baptized in the Spirit some years ago and it's just all gone, what I'd like to ask you to do is to have courage to come out and stand down here on my left. And Steve will make sure some people come and pray for you. And then... Just as we pray quietly for a few moments, I particularly like to challenge us is, are there any of those four areas where you recognize you just need to take a grip again this morning? It's just like you need to do a, yes, Lord. In believing you can have spiritual impact and see people born again, not just know you're a nice Christian. In seeing social impact through how you live with one another and those around cultural impact maybe some of you've just been completely swept along with cultural thinking these days and this morning god's prodded you and said well they stood up in the new testament or geographical impact maybe you've lost a sense of that so as the band plays like now any second let's pray Let's bow our heads, and here's what I'd like us to do. If you want us to pray for you, um, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, come out. In fact, you can just come to the front. You don't need to come to the side, or to be refilled. And this is not going to be an endless, repeated invitation, so you either come or you miss it. So you can feel free to come now. And over the next two minutes, as you reflect on those four areas... Of impact. If you recognise you've slipped in any of them, I just want you to stand where you are like as you're giving yourself to God again. Spiritual impact, social impact, cultural impact, geographical impact. Let's pray. Some are coming to the front. That's great. But if you know this morning, there's like been slippage, really, in the sharp-edgedness of your kingdom discipleship. Spiritual, social, cultural, geographic Why don't you just stand over these next two minutes? As your way of saying, God, I've slipped a bit there, but I am rededicating myself in these moments to be a kingdom disciple and to get back into the big story. Sharp edge of.